Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. We hope to enrich your life through reaching, serving, giving, and building. As you listen to this teaching, be inspired to fulfill your God-given destiny through the power of His Word. Fantastic. You have your Bibles, turn to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews. We're, we're going part two as we, we speak of the dangers of the drift. You know, uh, last weekend, maybe it was two weekends ago, Alexa, my oldest, she was taking her brother and sister, uh, t- taking Trevor to a birthday party, and then she was taking Michaela, I think, to the mall. How many ladies like the mall? Come on now. Some of you ladies just woke up, said, hey now. <laughs> Fellas, how many of you, it's been years since you've been to the mall? Same here. How many don't care about the mall except for the food court? So, so, so all three kids were, were getting into the car at the same time. And so, you know, Alexa's taking her brother and sister to different places. And, and, and they, I followed them out into the driveway. And I said, kids, look at me before you get in this car. Look at me. Eyes, eyes. Give me your eyes. I said, the most important things in this world to me are about to step into this vehicle. I said, Alexa, if you want to send your daddy to an early grave, you make bad decisions on that highway and be irresponsible. Do you understand how much your daddy loves you? And they, their eyes were so big. Yes, sir. Be careful. I'll see you later. They cautiously got into the car, backed out of the driveway very slowly. How many know I watched them all the way down the road? See, sometimes love Warns When you love somebody so much, come on, are you with me? That there's a warning attached to that. And I felt like last week was a, was a warning to us as a church. We, we said, be careful, be careful. There, there's this thing called the drift. Remember, we, we studied the life of Solomon and, and where he started out in his leadership, but where he ended up, they were two very different places. Can I tell you this? You don't have to be a bad person to end up in a bad place. Oh, come on now. I'm preaching better than you're shouting. Just because you're in a bad place doesn't make you a bad person. Sometimes good people, through neglect, we give the enemy access. Then we just tolerate. And sometimes we make excuses until ultimately we're in bondage. We're entangled in something. We talked about that last weekend. And and we talked about, be careful. There are dangerous things out there that will cause you to drift off course. Well, I don't want to just leave you out there in no man's land, okay? Now we got to pull you back. So part two of this message, I want to talk to you about how to get back to, to being on point with Christ. How, okay, Mike, you, you've talked to me about the dangers that are out there. If I find myself out there, how do I make my way back? And I think awareness, everybody say awareness. Awareness is crucial. How many of you know sometimes we can drift and not even know it? If you're drifting and, and you don't know it, then you're in a dangerous place because you'll continue to get off course. But I felt like out of the mercies of God and out of the compassion of our Lord, he warned us to expose the lies of the enemy and how drifting actually works. I want to take the time we have today and talk to you about how to stay anchored to Christ. You know, the book of Hebrews, the entire book of Hebrews is really an effort 
It's written toward the believer, encouraging us to stay anchored to truth, to stay anchored to the gospel. In fact, Hebrews chapter two, verse one, the writer says it like this. So we must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard, or we may what? Or we may drift away from it. That word drift in the Greek, it means to carelessly pass or to miss, to let something slip or to glide by. Um, it actually means uh, like a car that hydroplanes on water. You lose contact with the surface and the source of your salvation. The entire book of Hebrews is an effort to keep us anchored to truth. In fact, if you'll fast forward to Hebrews chapter 6, I think we finished last week with this verse. And I'm going to run you all over the scriptures today. Is that okay? How many thinks it's important that we hear from God's word, not man's opinion? I'll do my best to kind of break down some truth, but I want to give you the truth of God's word so it'll be an anchor to your soul. The Bible says in Hebrews 6, 18, so God has given both his promise and his oath. Everybody say promise, promise. say oath. I love that promise. And, I hear, and we sang about it today. And this is why it was so good. That last song was so good. Oh my goodness. I wanted to run laps in this place. And I, I put on my running shoes today. I got these nice, comfortable running shoes. I may just take off. Who's with me? Okay, some of you are still trying to wake up this weekend. Oh, God, I've seen you move. You've moved the mountains. Oh, I love it. You know, the Bible says God's given us two things. He's given us his promise, which he's saying, hey, here's what I'm committed to do for you. How many of you know that the Bible is full of the promises of God? I'm thankful for the word of God because they tell us his promise. In fact, uh, uh, Psalm 138, verse 2, the Bible says that God, God's promises are backed. All of the promises are backed by the honor of his name. I love it. Not only does he give us a promise, but then he gives us his oath, Hebrews says. The promises of God are what he's willing to do. His oath is his, almost like we'd say, you know, in ancient Jewish days, they would, they would swear by something greater than themselves. I, I'd swear by heaven. Well, how many of you know when God makes a promise, he can't commit to anything greater than himself? You know, but, but he's given us his promise, but an oath, almost like, you know, when you give testimony, you put your hand on the book and that's to seal. That's doubling down on what you're about to say. Everything I'm telling you, it's the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. God gives us his word as a promise and then his oath, which is his commitment by the integrity of his name to do what he said he would do. The Bible says in Hebrews, so God has given us both his promise and his oath. And these two things are unchangeable because it's impossible for God to lie. Impo How many of you know man can, can bend the truth and twist the truth? We, we can tell something that's not true, but that's impossible for God to lie because he is truth. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. Verse 19, and this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. Everybody say anchor. There it is. It's a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Can I have a good amen? Uh, I love that. I hope you jot those scriptures down. We're going to take a, a walk through the, the book of Hebrews today and, and talk about if we find ourselves spiritually displaced, far away from God, 
or maybe we've lazily drifted to a place unknowingly and by the mercy of God now, we've got recognition, there's awareness. Here's how we get back, okay? If you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. There are four things. I'm gonna walk you step by step through this. Number one, write this down. We gotta fix our eyes, fix our eyes. Hebrews 12, two, the Bible says this. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. You got to fix your eyes. Jesus is that reference point. Here's how we get back. We keep our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. And now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. How do you get back? Well, you need a reference point. You know, if you, we, we used the analogy last week about being on the beach. And if you're playing out in the water, there's a tide or a current that begins to move you down the beach line. If you're going to get back to where you were, you've got to go back to a fixed point. You look back to that tent, okay? Of all the tents and chairs and ice chests and things that are out there, you got to find your tent. You're looking for that purple and gold LSU tent, And you got to work through a sea of crimson red, all that Alabama nonsense to the left and the right. Come on, can I have a good amen? There's that purple tent. And what do you do? You keep your eyes on that reference point. Again, your stuff hasn't moved. You've moved. You know, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He hasn't gone anywhere, but sometimes we've drifted off course. So how do you get back? If you're spiritually displaced, how do you get back? You've got to fix your eyes. Okay, where I'm looking will determine where I'm going. Are you with me? Where you look, where you set your eyes, Jesus is that fixed reference point that does not move. Now, we mentioned this last week. Sometimes in drifting, it's because of neglect. We've gotten busy. Um, uh, we've, we've gotten distracted and then sometimes we get a little lazy and it causes us to go off course. If we're going to fix our eyes, one of the things that I've noticed is this, we're going to have to simplify our life. You know, some of you have drifted because your life has gotten very busy and it's gotten crowded and cluttered. The best way to set a reference point is to eliminate distractions around you. Does that make sense? And sometimes this is difficult, but you're going to have to simplify. Life gets complicated. Life gets busy. It's easy to be distracted when you've got a lot of things going on. I guess my recommendation would be this. Is there anything in your life right now that's not bearing fruit? Mm. All right. We're going to just drill down right there because I think God's talking to some people. You may need to eliminate things before God can elevate things. You with me? Uh, Evaluate your life and say, okay, is this bearing fruit? Because if it's not, guess what? God may need to prune. Come on, are you with me? God prunes. If something in your life, there's a branch on the tree that's not bearing fruit, the gardener will prune it. Jesus said, if you are bearing fruit... He said, I'm going to prune you so you will bear even more fruit. How many of you know you're pruned if you do and pruned if you don't? (laughs) Either way, God's saying, hey, there's, there's some stuff you need to eliminate. There may be some relationships in your life that aren't bearing fruit. And if they're not committed 
to your future, why would you stay connected to them in your present? What do you need to eliminate so God can elevate? Part of fixing your eyes is simplifying your life. Maybe some of you need to learn to say no. How many of you just, okay, confession, all right? Confession here in front of God and everybody. How many people pleasers do we have in the house? Okay, I'm raising my hand because it is, I want people to be happy. I do. I'm a peacemaker. I want to please everybody. It is difficult for me to tell people no. If you ask me to do something, 99% of the time, I will say yes. Because I want, to, I want to see people happy. I want to make people happy. I don't like disappointing people. But how many of you know that when you say yes to everything, sometimes you'll say yes to some good things, but you're saying no to even better things. It is difficult sometimes for me to say no. Everybody say no. Now say it with a little conviction. Oh, isn't that liberating? Turn to your neighbor and say, ask me a question. Come on, anything, anything. Now tell them. No, I love that. See, sometimes you got to say no to people so you can simplify your life. You're busy doing a bunch of things that God never told you to do. And then you wonder and you fuss. Oh, come on now. You complain to God about everything going on in your life. And God's sitting back saying, I didn't have anything to do with any of that. Why? Because God will put a grace on your life if he's told you to do something. But some of you are doing things that you're not supposed to be doing, and you're doing it in your own strength. You have no grace on your life to do it. And because of that, you're getting frustrated, you're getting irritable, you're starting to complain, and guess what? You're drifting off course. God's saying, no, 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 fix your eyes on me. That means simplifying your life. It means eliminating things that aren't bearing fruit. It means learning to say no. Can I tell you, they asked Jesus. He would go from village to village, and there would be some places, and the the, the sick and and the lame and the hurting, they would crowd him. And for hours, he would do miracles and pray for people, and they begged him to stay, and Jesus said, no, I can't stay here because I've got an assignment that God has put on my life. Even Jesus learned how to say no. Eliminate some things. Learn to say no. Listen, cut drama out of your life. I see God setting people free right now. You know, people who do drama are emotionally expensive. Are you with me? How many of you, you love the power of simplicity and you say, you know what? My life functions better without drama. Because I'm telling you, sometimes people, they bring drama into your life. Turn to your neighbor and say, save the drama for your mama. <laughs> you didn't bargain for it. You didn't ask for it, but it showed up. Don't do drama. Learn to say no. Eliminate things that aren't bearing fruit in your life, and you can fix your eyes on what matters most. Can I have a good Amen. See, there's, there's some practicality in getting back on course. You see, if you'll simplify, then you'll be able to focus. The problem is this. When you're in a crisis situation, the tendency is to look at everything around you. You know, when life is turned upside down and things don't make sense, and some of you are at this place right now, there is so much going on in your life, it's hard to find which way is up. 
okay, God, I've lost my sense of direction and orientation. And you know why? It's because you're looking at everything around you. When Peter was called out of the boat, remember in Matthew 14, Jesus was walking on the water and and, and Peter, he stepped out of the boat and began to do something that no one had ever done. The Bible says he was just fine as long as his eyes were fixed upon Jesus. But the minute he took his eyes off of Christ and he began to look at the winds and look at the waves and look at everything around him, the Bible says he began to sink. And some of you are here today and you feel like you are sinking because you're looking at the winds and you're looking at the waves and you're looking at everything around you. Jesus says, no, no, no. Keep your eyes on the prize. Fix your eyes. Come on. Somebody say, fix your eyes. If we're going to get back in step, back in sync with the spirit of God, we're going to have to simplify and refocus and set our eyes on Jesus. He is that fixed reference point that does not change. Now look at what it says in Hebrews chapter three, verse 15. Bible says this. Remember what it says today. When you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. The first thing is this, we've got to fix our eyes. But the second thing is this, we've got to tune our ears. We've got to tune our ears to be able to hear what the Spirit of God is saying. Not only do we have to lock into that reference point, Lord, my eyes are on you. I'm simplifying. I'm saying no. I'm not doing drama. I'm going to stay in my lane. I'm going to set my eyes on you. Then we've got to tune our ears to the words of Christ. Sometimes we we can't hear what God's saying because of the chaos and craziness around us. If we'll fix our eyes, then we can tune our ears. You know, when the kids were small, I remember picking up Alexa one day uh, from preschool, and she jumped in the car, and she's got this headband. Apparently, they had made something in art class, and this was this headband that she was wearing, and these big old elephant-looking ears. And she says, Daddy, do you like my ears? I'm like, baby, I love those ears. She says, these are my listening ears. I'm like, wouldn't that be cool if you could have a set of listening ears? I'm like, baby, can I borrow those listening ears from time to time? Because your mama thinks I don't listen to a word she says. (laughs) You've got to be tuned in to the voice of God. Because I've discovered this. When you listen to wrong voices, you make wrong choices. Why, why are we getting off course? Because wait, that wasn't God. We thought it was God, but it wasn't. You know, if you'll dial into the frequency of heaven, here's kind of the analogy that I, that I had. And I, I grew up playing the trumpet and I was in a marching band and then a little jazz band, you know, and, and sometimes we would play, you know, with an orchestra and um, it was so cool. Have you ever been to a symphony and you've heard the orchestra as they warm up and they tune their instruments? That's pretty amazing that all the different, the brass and the woodwinds and and all this different, you know, 60-piece orchestra, but they all have to get on the same page. How does an orchestra tune? Well, there's an instrument called an oboe. How many's ever heard of an oboe? Okay, I'm giving you a little musical 101, a little education here. Oboe, it's, it's a wood instrument, and that is the standard instrument for tuning. An oboe will play an A. And every other instrument in that orchestra will tune their instrument to that A. And I'm telling you, Jesus is the oboe and the standard of A. 
Now, what would happen if an orchestra, now they got the sheets of music and they've got their, their conductor, but what would happen if they would begin to play and they're all in different keys? All the instruments are out of tune. You know, the brass section, you know, could be like, wait a second, I'm in tune. Well, you didn't tune to the oboe. You know, the, the oboe played the note and the other instruments and the sections, they adjust accordingly. Now, why would a musician need to tune his instrument? I mean, if he tuned it the day before, shouldn't it be tuned in the next day? Doesn't work that way. How many of you know that the environment can change the tuning of an instrument? Heat, humidity, air pressure. Well, you were tuned last night when you practiced, but for the performance, you've got to tune again because there are certain environments. Oh, come on now. There are certain environments. Wait, I didn't even touch the instrument. I, 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 already, I already did this yesterday. Surely it's in tune today and things out of your control. It's because of the environment that you lost tune. I'll tell you this. There are some environments that will cause you to lose your tune to the voice of God. There are some settings and I'm, I'm not trying to preach against habits, but you do have to pay attention to where you place yourself because God could be speaking and you can't even hear it because you haven't tuned your ears to his voice. Are you with me? How does getting back on course work? We've got to fix our eyes. Then we have to tune our ears. Paul said in Romans 10 verse 17, so then faith comes by hearing. Wait a second now. Is faith not the ultimate? I mean, God is pleased with our faith. You know, we are saved by grace through faith. Faith is the critical component for a believer. Faith comes by hearing, and not just hearing any voice, but hearing what? The Word of God. Oh, listen to me. Hear me, beloved. We've got to tune our ears in order to build our faith. This is so important. It's almost like I thought about this, this analogy. It's like listening to the radio. You know, there are, are radio waves all around. You can't see them, but there are radio waves. If you were to get in your car after you leave church and crank your engine, turn on that radio, the frequency is always there, but you just haven't been dialed into it. The same is true for the word and the voice of God's spirit. He's speaking but we got to find the right station. Part of us being here today, sitting before the Lord as students, listening to the word, it's tuning our ears. The Bible says, he that has an ear, let him hear what the spirit of God is saying to the church. Uh, God forbid that I watch more CNN or more Fox News or ESPN, and I'm more dialed into the world and current events than I'm missing what heaven's trying to say. Now, how many times have we walked into a crisis situation and we don't have good information and so we're trying to figure it out on our own when the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, check with me, check with me, check with me. I got something to say about that. Oh, if you just dial into me, I can help you. I, I, I got some information that you're going to need. How many of you know heaven has information? Let me just say this. Heaven has revelation on your situation. But if, if we don't, if, if we're not tuned in by the spirit, we're going to miss what the spirit of God is saying. And if we want to get back on track, we've got to fix our eyes. We've got to tune our ears. Look at what it says in Hebrews chapter 10. Check this out. Verse 25. The Bible says this, and let us not neglect our meeting together. 
as some people do. But encourage, everybody say encourage. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Oh, what a great verse out of Hebrews chapter 10. What is he saying? Number one, he's saying, fix your eyes. Number two, he's saying, tune your ears. And number three, he's saying, lock your arms. You got to lock your arms with other brothers and sisters in the Lord. How do you get back on point with the presence of God? Well, it starts with finding that reference, Jesus, my eyes are fixed upon you, tuning your ears, hearing the spirit, but then we've got to be connected and committed to spiritual family. The writer here says, don't neglect the gathering together with other believers. Why is this so important? But because he said it right there in that verse. He said, when you're connected to other believers, then you're able to be encouraged in the Lord. You see, listen, we gather here today, obviously, to worship and lift up the name of Jesus. But there's something that happens in that context that we desperately need. God deposits strength and encouragement inside of us through brothers and sisters in the Lord. We've got to lock arms with each other. When you're locked in with God and with others, it's hard for you to be displaced. It's almost like I thought about, you ever been bowling? How many like to bowl? How many of you like to go to the bowling alley and watch other people bowl? Yeah, that's entertainment right there in and of itself. You know, but, but my favorite kind of bowling is the bumper bowls. How many use the bumpers when you bowl? You say, Mike, that's cheating. No, it's not. Not when you're at a birthday party with all your kids. Man, I need those bumper rails. You know, you think about it. The bumper rails at the bowling alley will keep you out of the gutter. And the same is true when you have accountability in your life. It'll keep you from drifting to the left are drifting to the right. You get too far out of line and your life is going to roll down that gutter. You're not going to hit the mark. But when, when you've got brothers and sisters in the Lord, when you make a commitment to the local church, you make a commitment, hey, Sundays, I'm dialed in. I'm going I'm to adjust my schedule to be in the house of God. And even when you can't be in the house of God, listen, hey, at 9 o'clock, 11.15, 5 p.m., I'm going to be dialed in. I can do church right here on my cell phone. I can pull out my iPad. I can get on my laptop. Bless God. I'm going to be connected to the spiritual family, and it's going to keep my life out of the gutter. I, I thought about it, the redwood trees in California. You know, it's interesting to me how they grow so tall. But the root system, it, it doesn't go as deep as the tree is tall. But what keeps a redwood anchored, the roots of that redwood tree interlock with other redwood trees. Are you with me? And so it becomes next to impossible. They're not only anchored in soil, but they're connected to each other. If you could see the root system of a redwood and see how it's interlocked with other redwoods, then you begin to understand the power of doing life in community. Hear me. Don't do life alone. Don't do life alone. Uh, God has called us and created us to function in community. That's why we always talk about spiritual family here. We talk about next steps and small groups. Why is that important? Because God forbid you come to church and I mean, you love what you see and feel, but, but each Sunday when church is over, you walk back into isolation. 
and you walk back to the same problems and you feel like you're no better. I haven't gotten the the power that I need to overcome. You see, as a pastor, it blesses me to see men and women who are dialed in, not only to the presence of God, but to one another. You see, isolation leads to drifting. Isolation always leads to drifting. That's why we have to build relationships on purpose. You know, I'm involved in a, in a small group. In fact, I'm involved in two small groups. And I know it's easy to say, oh, I, just, I don't have time. I got so much going on. Listen, you can't afford not to do life with others. Can't afford not to. And out of these small group environments, I'm going to tell you what. I was telling the guys last night. We met last night. And I was telling them, you know, I feel like after a year and a half of being together, and praying for one another and, and, you know, learning and growing in this context called spiritual family. I feel like I'm a better person than I was 18 months ago. I feel like I'm a better pastor. I'm a better father. Hopefully I'm a better husband. Can I get a good amen? Come on, girl. Shout me on that one. Don't be quiet. Is your hunk of hunk of burning love? <laughs> I love putting that girl on the spot. But you know what it takes? It takes, okay, small group, watch this. It takes vulnerability. It takes honesty. It takes consistency. If you're going to have relationships that work in your life, that keep, if you're going to have those roots, those redwood tree roots that are locked in with others to keep you anchored, it's going to take honesty. It's going to take some consistency. It's going to take vulnerability. Are you with me? Now, let me hustle through this. Everybody say, fix your eyes. Say, tune your ears. Say, lock your arms. Now say, move your feet. Oh, we got to start stepping. Check this out. Hebrews 12. Let me read you this final verse, and then I want to pray over you. Hebrews 12, 12. The Bible says this. So take a new grip. Come on, somebody say grip. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Verse 13. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. Why is this important? You don't prop up your feet, but you're moving your feet. If you've fixed your eyes and you've tuned your ears and you've locked your arms, then God says it's time to start stepping. You know what that is? You know what that step is? That step is obedience. God, I'm not just hearing you with my ears, but I'm hearing you with my feet. God, when you tell me to start moving, I'm moving toward you because my eyes are fixed upon you. I'm hearing what you're saying. I'm not doing life alone. I've got brothers and sisters that they know where I am. They know what my struggles are. They know what my tendencies may be. But God, when you speak, I will obey. You see, this is not about emotions. It's not about feelings, but it's about obedience. God, I want to walk with you. I want to be in step with you. Think about it. Eyes to see, ears to hear, arms that'll be locked with others, and feet that will go. What does it take to stay on point with Jesus? Everything you got. Everything. It, it, It takes it all. I mean, from head to toe. Do you, do you see how the, the, the physical body is a picture of how God says, I want everything. And, and a God that wants everything is a God that will give you everything you need to do what he's called you to do. 
Now, now let me finish this way. And I felt this so strongly last night as we were praying with our brothers up here. Um, God dropped this in my heart because good people end up in bad places. If, if you've drifted and you find yourself in a bad place, it doesn't make you a bad person. Hear me. The disciples, you want to talk about drifting? Remember when Jesus went to the cross? Guess what happened? Those disciples, they lost their way, did they not? I mean, Thomas, he, he doubted the whole deal. I don't, I, don't even, I don't believe he's alive. You know, Peter, what'd he do? He went back to fishing. I guess I'm going to go back to my old occupation. This whole thing, I, I, I banked it all that Jesus was the Messiah. And when it didn't turn out the way that he wanted it to, man, all the disciples were scattered, even Judas. I mean, betraying Christ. You look at that time in the life of Christ as he went to the cross and how the devil used that disappointment and that darkness to scatter those disciples. What did Jesus do to the disciples that had been drifting? He showed up. He said, Thomas, you've doubted before, but doubt no more. Here, put your hands right here in these scars. Take your your, your fist and thrust it through my side. I'm here. Peter went back to fishing. Guess what? Jesus showed up on that beach, didn't he? Hey, won't you let down your net over there? What? You kidding me? What Jesus tell those disciples to do? After they had been drifting for weeks, Jesus told those disciples, I want you to go to Jerusalem and I want you to wait for the promise. What's going to keep you from drifting? The promise of the Holy Spirit. And on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, the Bible says 120 were gathered in that upper room and they were obeying. They were there. Their feet were there in Jerusalem because that's what Jesus had said. They fixed their eyes. They tuned their ears. They locked their arms and they moved their feet. And that day in Jerusalem, in the upper room, the Bible says the sound of a rushing mighty wind came and blew through that place. And the Bible says that cloven tongues as of fire were dancing on their head. God poured out his spirit upon that, that whole building shook. People that were watching said, my, 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 these people are drunk. Kidding me? This is crazy, ridiculous. And Peter says, no, 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 it's too early for that. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. Too early to be drunk unless you're down on Bourbon Street. Too early for that. What you're seeing is that which was prophesied years ago. Joel said, in the last days, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. He said, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Oh, I believe God's putting a prophetic word in the mouth of this next generation. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. And the Bible says, in that moment, Peter preaches that message and 3,000 people get saved. Now, these disciples who had drifted, These disciples who had drifted and found themselves displaced, Jesus came back and he says, fix your eyes on me, tune your ears to what I'm saying, lock arms with each other, move those feet to Jerusalem, and I'm going to give you a promise. I'm going to tell you this, God will give you the power that you need to stay on point this summer. Can I have a good amen? You received that this morning. Thank you for listening. For more information about Healing Place Church, go to healingplacechurch.org or give us a call at 225-753-2273.